And go ahead, everybody else who's staying in here, grab your Bibles and open to Ephesians chapter 3. everybody everybody here awake all right man i've been undone this morning since i woke up just not even with the actual point of what i'm supposed to talk about but just the review from last week um I'm going to do my best. I feel very unfit to deliver this word, um, but I'm just going to speak it plainly and trust the Lord. Uh, but I do, Dan just pointed out to me, and I, I wanted to publicly say thank you. Um, there's been a number of people, and I don't even know who has contributed, um, but some of you know my guitar broke, and it wasn't working properly, and a number of you guys contributed to get me a new guitar. And I'm just completely overwhelmed again by God's provision through your generosity. And it's like the Lord just keeps showing me again and again and again. So thank you guys. Ephesians chapter 3. Would you guys turn there with me? We've been considering the fact that as a church, as the church, we are a kingdom of priests who have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus. That is who we are. And we've been bought by him, resurrected by him to minister to him. And so we've been talking through, like, what it means to be a member of this church. And we talked about the fact that we have values, which are the, the activities and the attitudes that we will prioritize as a church that honor and establish God's place among us. And last week we began talking about... Um, what it is to commit to being a member of this church. And I don't even know if Dan explained this clearly or not, but when we say becoming a member of this church, it means that we have a series of relational commitments that we make to one another publicly. And those relational commitments, they come from the Bible, um, but they actually act as fences, which Millie, you just affirmed, like as I was preparing, the, fe the word fences was the word that the Lord brought to mind. It was spoken in a teaching yesterday, and you shared it again today. When we commit to one another as members of this church, those commitments act as fences to protect the Lord's place among us. And so last week we looked at what it, what it means, generally speaking, what do we expect 
of a member of this church? What should we expect of one another as members of one another? And we looked last week at the fact that a member of this church must give active submission to Jesus. And this is the part where this morning I was just undone by this. So if you don't even catch all of anything else I say, hear this. As the humble servant, the son of suffering, Isaiah 53, the lamb who was slain, Jesus who laid down his life for you, is the chief cornerstone. And as the chief cornerstone, he is the foundation of the church beneath us. But as the lion of Judah who conquered the grave, the one who holds the keys to death and hell, the living one, Jesus is the head over us. And as the one who is present among the lampstands by his spirit right now, he is among us, beside us, before us, and behind us. He is the Alpha, the beginning of the church. He is the end of the church. And not only that, he is the bread of life that sustains us as the church. He is the light of the world that exposes anything that is impure. He is the good shepherd who leads us into green pastures beside still waters where we lack nothing. He is the resurrection. Where there is death, he brings the hope of life. And he alone is the way and the truth, and he is the life who brings us to the Father. He also is the true vine through which we receive all of our nourishment. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Apart from him, this church is nothing. I am nothing. You are nothing except for the true vine. He is the high priest who ever lives above, making intercession for all those who trust in him, pleading before the Father and advocating on our behalf as we take cover in his righteousness. But he is also the faithful witness the only one who made God known to the world where he was not known. And he is the Son of Man coming on the clouds in glory and in power. The ruler of all the kings on the earth and in the universe. And he's the one who loves us. He's the one who freed us from our sins by his blood, and because of that, he alone is worthy to take the scroll and to open it and make any judgment. We don't get 
to participate in his kingdom on our terms. If you hear nothing else today, hear that. To be in his kingdom of priests, what an unworthy honor it is for us. And to be in that kingdom of priests is a day-by-day war against our flesh, which is constantly waging war against King Jesus. So to live as his priest, who makes much of him, who honors him, it's a moment-by-moment life of submission to him. All must bow to Jesus And that is the primary expectation of anyone who would be a member of this church. Now let's look at Ephesians chapter 3. To be a member of this church is to devote yourself to that warfare of constant, moment-by-moment submission to the rule of Jesus. And there is so much grace in that war. Please hear that. The way of righteousness is the road of repentance. And it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And it's that repentance that draws his grace to bear on us. And so in Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 4, Paul is talking about that grace. And he says to the, to the Ephesians, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. This is verse 4. The mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and his prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. What an incredible mystery, amen? That Jew and Gentile alike would be brought into one body through the promise of Jesus Christ in the gospel. And he says, of that gospel, I was made a minister, verse 7, according to the gift of God's grace. There it is again, his grace, which was given me by the working of his power. Remember the power of Jesus as he reveals himself to Paul, then Saul, on the road to Damascus. And Paul is blinded by the glory of Jesus and is radically transformed And then he's baptized in water and the Spirit, and his blindness is healed, and he is all of a sudden the most radical follower of Jesus. That is power, working in a person. And he says to me, even though I am the very least of all the saints, he remembers all the wrongdoing that he did. As do I, and as I'm sure you do as well the very least of all the saints, he still gave grace. 
And he gave grace specifically, look at verse 8, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. The unsearchable riches of Christ. We can't even begin to comprehend all that is in Jesus. Yet he gives us his grace and works in power that we may begin to understand it. And Paul was also given this grace to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Can I get an amen on that? What incredible grace that is. That we would have boldness and confidence to come before him through our faith in what he's done. But Paul was given this grace as a minister of the gospel so that everyone would know it's the church that demonstrates the the wisdom of God. He goes on to say this famous passage in Ephesians 3, this prayer for the saints. And how much we need this prayer. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. That you, according to the riches of his glory, may be granted to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Who needs that power right now? I certainly do. But it's not a vague power. It's a power for a specific reason. And the reason that we need the power of God working in us is so that Christ may dwell in us through faith, that we may be rooted and grounded in love, and that with all the saints we may comprehend the width and the height and the depth of the love of God and to grow in that love which surpasses knowledge. We cannot even know the love of God without the power of God working in us to understand it. that you may be filled with the fullness of God. This famous phrase that God is able to do far more abundantly than anything we could ask or think is talking about sinful people being filled with the fullness of God to know his love. He's not just talking about paying some bills or providing something that I've been hoping for in the flesh. God is able to do the unthinkable, which is to give you the love of God and help you know it and to be filled by it in such a way, verse 21, that he receives glory in the church and in Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. That is the unthinkable. That Christ would be glorified in us. In us. Like, what? In us? That he would receive glory in us as that power does the unthinkable. The church, us, the assembled people of God who have been called out of darkness into light, exists 
to demonstrate to every spiritual and physical ruler and authority in the universe that God is wise and deserves the glory. Therefore, chapter 4, verse 1, Paul urges us to walk in a manner that is worthy of that calling. What a weight that calling is. To walk worthy of that? Jesus has an incredibly high standard for his vessel of glory. That is what the church is, and he has an incredible high standard for us, which means that our holiness matters. It means that our participation in the life of his vessel of glory, the church, matters. And it means that our unity as that vessel matters. And this is what that standard is. Let's look at verse 2. That we would walk with all... Time out right there. Remember... We are the vessel of God's glory to demonstrate to all the rulers and authorities in the universe that he deserves the glory. That's the calling. And he's calling us to humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. That is the standard of Christ's vessel of glory. For there is one body, there is only one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. There's one Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism, there's one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all, and he's looking to fill you with his fullness. And he says, walk in a manner that is worthy of that. But Jesus, knowing all in his kindness, understands that we need his grace to do that. He doesn't just set us up with this standard and say, go figure it out. He knows that we need his help, and he's so pleased to give it. That's why Paul says in verse 7, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of his gift. It says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In other words, as he plundered the spiritual authority of his enemy and received all the spoils of that victory, he then turns to those who come into his kingdom and he gives those gifts to us as a gift of his grace that we might walk worthy of the calling. He provides specific gifts of grace to specific people to do specific things in his kingdom that we might walk worthy. And what Paul says in verse 11 is that those people and those gifts include the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers for the very purpose of equipping the saints for the work of the ministry and to build them up because they are the body of Christ. 
And that equipping and that building up is to take place in verse 13 until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That is why he gives us grace, that we might attain the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And in those gifts, I'm going to embrace the awkwardness of saying this, he gives the church pastors. He gives gifts of grace to specific people to do the work of pastoring other people. And so as a church, not only do we expect each other to give active submission to Jesus, again, I'm going to embrace the awkwardness of saying this. It's incredibly uncomfortable for me <laughs> to say this. But we expect as a church that you submit to the leadership of the pastors. As a person in the kingdom of God who's called to walk worthy, he says, Submit yourselves to the leaders of those who I've given grace to lead. And so we've got to ask ourselves, what does it mean to submit to a pastor? And most practically speaking, it means that you are devoting yourself to come under the spiritual leadership of a person, whether it's me, whether it's Dan, whether it's someone else someday, the pastor of the church to come under their spiritual leadership and to let them pastor, to let them shepherd, and to let them provide biblical care in the way that Jesus lays it out in the Bible. And so maybe you remember this famous passage in Acts chapter 20. Go ahead and turn there. As Paul is on the beach with those elders of the church in Ephesus who he was just writing to in Ephesians saying this tearful goodbye to them he says in Acts chapter 20 verse 27 I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. Here it is again, which he obtained with his own blood. He's given gifts of grace to people to do the work of pastoring the people with which whom Jesus obtained with his own blood the ones whom he loved and gave himself for and paid such a high price to redeem, demand such a high level of attention and care from those that Jesus calls to lead them. You might also remember the passage in 1 Peter chapter 5 where Peter writes, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, willingly and eagerly being examples to the flock. When Paul writes to Titus in Titus chapter 1, 
to go into Crete and put what remains into order and to appoint elders in every town as God's stewards. And then in Hebrews chapter 13, this famous passage again where the writer says to, again, I'm just embracing the awkwardness of saying this. He says, obey your leaders and submit to them because they're the ones keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. So when we talk about pastoral care and submitting to it, Dan and I don't take this lightly. This is a task where we are full aware that we stand accountable to God for your souls. And so to be a member of our church is to say publicly, I'm committing to come under the care of a particular person in this way. God has designed it that the church would have pastors and that pastors would have the church. And so if you're in the kingdom of God and you have not made yourself accountable to a pastor, you are a wandering sheep that is very vulnerable. He has designed the church to function with leaders for your protection. And here's the context of all those verses that I just read. This is pastoral care right here. This is shepherding the flock. In the Acts passage, right after he says, shepherd the flock with care, because after I leave, fierce wolves are going to come in among you, and they're not going to spare the flock. And even from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Peter, likewise, after he shares those kind words, shepherd the flock eagerly because the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking whom to devour. And there will be false prophets who spring up. As Paul writes to Titus, go to the island and put things in order and install elders to give instruction in sound doctrine and to rebuke those who contradict it for there are many insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers. And the Hebrews context. Obey your leaders and submit to them so that, chapter 3, none of you would be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That we might strive together in holiness without which no one will see the Lord. The context of all those pastoral encouragements are the fact that there are people and ideas and behaviors that are dangerous to you. And we have to be faithful to shout what the Bible shouts and whisper what it whispers. And every time the Lord mentions pastors in the Bible, he's mentioning in a very emphatic way that there are deceivers, not only people, there's also winds of doctrine in Ephesians 4 that seek to confuse people and to lead them astray. And these are the tactics of God's enemy. Deception is his number one tactic. And as people latch on to those deceptions, people are led astray and they are wounded. And so when you look through the New Testament, the biblical idea of pastoral care, before anything else, is to look out into the pasture of your lives and to see where the threats are. 
whether it is particular people, whether it's particular ideas that you have listened to, or whether it's particular behaviors that have flowed out of believing lies. And then, as those threats are identified, to go into the word of God, being led by the spirit of God, to teach and to reprove. Picture the idea of fine jewelry being melted down and refined, and then as it begins to cool, it's then melted down again to reprove it, to refine it even further. But also to correct what is wrong. Also to train what is lacking. Also to equip what needs strengthened. To exhort and encourage what needs the encouragement. And when things are way out of whack, to rebuke those who have led astray others. And all of these things are done from the authority, not of a man, but of the word of God. And they are leveraged from the Bible specifically into specific instances in people's lives in response to the deceitfulness of sin that can sprout up so easily in our hearts and lead us astray. And all of that oversight and defense and teaching and correcting is done for the purpose of leading you again to God's grace through repentance and submission to Jesus. And so when we say to be a member is to submit to pastoral care, that is primarily what we mean. Now, there are many other practical roles of pastoring and receiving pastoral care that are included in being a member of church. But the New Testament idea of the pastor is to protect the flock and to lead the flock. And so I want to make it clear to you guys that Dan and I, I said it a little bit tongue-in-cheek a few weeks ago, but I want to say it again. We are not God, and we cannot be the Holy Spirit to you. As you think about what it means to submit yourself to the care of a pastor, I need you to recognize that you need the Holy Spirit more than me. And I also need you to know that I cannot be your conscience, I cannot be your police, and I cannot be a sage that offers wisdom with a bunch of other worldly advice. I can only be to you what the Lord has called me to be from Scripture, and that is to look into the pasture for the threats and use the Word of God to identify them and help you be defended against them in such a way that you are drawn to Jesus even more. And so Dan and I must bow under the word of God and the spirit of God constantly to do that. And we must be able to look out into the pasture of your lives. We must be aware of the cultural winds of doctrine that are swirling. We must be aware of even in the broader church, the trends and the things that people are believing or being given to, we must be aware of what the church in the world is doing right now. And we must be aware of how the Lord wants us to function together as a body. Because pastoring a sheep cannot be separated from the flock. 
Pastoring a member of the body cannot be removed from the body as a whole. And so, everything that we say on a, on a Sunday morning is informed by what's happening in each of you. It's, in, it's informed by what you guys are going through. And we've heard, like, this particular thing didn't really apply to me. And I want to encourage you, not every single thing that will be shared from a pulpit in any church will apply to every person in a particular way, but if you're a part of the body and it applies to a member of your body, it applies to your body. And so our role together, as Dan and I look into the pasture and we speak into things, is to say, hey, maybe, I, maybe that's not particularly for where I'm at, but I'm going to find out which body part in my body needs that, and I'm going to give all my attention to taking care of that body part in that way. Even last night, I came home and I had this tiny little cut in between my two littlest toes. And you guys, you notice the tiny cut in between your two littlest toes in such a way, it's so annoying and irritating. We should notice those little tiny cuts in the body of Christ in that kind of way to where my body is like, man, I need to take care of my toe. And so as we do this act of like trying to protect and lead and defend the flock of God, we need each other to lean in and say, okay, let's respond to this word. Let's find out who needs it most and let's support, let's strengthen. And I threw in this word, hopeful submission to the pastors. Because I want to encourage you that to do that act of submitting to leadership under a pastor should be hopeful in the sense that true love, according to the Bible, hopes all things and believes all things. It believes the best of others, right? And it should hope that we are doing our best to lead and to love and to care for you guys. I want to encourage you to take hope in that and to say, you know what? Maybe I don't quite hear what you're saying, but I'm going to hope that you, that you really want to lead me in the right way, and I'm going to figure out what you mean. I'm going to learn. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen. I'm going to hear you out. I want you guys to, to be hopeful in that. But the second thing that I want to talk about is not only submission to pastoral leadership, but also humble submission to one another. Any pastoral leadership that happens, happens from people who are also members of the body. Before being a pastor, we're a member of the body with you. Before being a leader, we're a brother and a, a brother or a sister or a cousin or a nephew or a son right? We're members of the family, members of the body, and we all submit to one another as well. Go back to Ephesians chapter 4. The Lord has given the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints. 
But then he says, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. This is verse, verse 17, where he describes what that means to walk in the futility of your minds. But in verse 22, he says, you're called to put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life with its corrupt, deceitful desires. There's that word deceit again. Put that off to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness, putting away falsehood, speak the truth with your neighbor. Here's what I'm going for, the phrase, we are members of one another. I belong to you and you belong to me if we're in Christ together. We belong to one another. And so, as one is wounded, we're all wounded. As one is deceived, we're all feeling that deception. As one is led astray, again, we feel the pain of that. We are members of one another in one body. And so to be a member of this church is to devote yourself to humbly submitting to one another as members of the same body. The Christian life is never, has never been intended to be lived alone. From the very beginning of creation, what does the Lord say? It's not fit for the man to be alone, right? Adam says, I, I need a helper. From the beginning, the Lord has designed there to be a community. To the fact where Proverbs 18 would even say, Anyone who isolates himself seeks their own desire and breaks out against all sound judgment. We need one another. And Hebrews 10 says that we must not neglect the meeting together of the saints so that we might encourage one another. We are members of one another. And if you skip over to Ephesians chapter 5, Paul's talking about, again, the fullness of God, the filling of the Holy Spirit, something that he says should be happening continually, regularly, fill, being filled and refilled with the fullness of God, both the preparation for that filling and the result of that filling is that we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Do you see that in verse 21 of chapter 5 in Ephesians? We must always be giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of Jesus, submitting to one another, not just because, but out of reverence for Christ. To submit to Christ means that we submit to one another as well. And so, as a member of this church, those relational commitments are those things that we publicly devote ourselves to to establish fences for the protection of God's place among us. The installation of pastors to do the shepherding and the protecting is a fence to guard you. And the submission to one another as a church is another fence to protect you from isolation and deception and giving in to the deceitfulness of sin. Because just practically speaking, Dan and I can't do everything for anyone, for everyone. We cannot do it all, and that's exactly why God has designed the body to have different members with different gifts, right? 
1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 says that the Lord gives unique manifestations of the Spirit to each person for the common good. But those manifestations must happen and then be shared. If you have the manifestation of the Spirit and you isolate yourself, it's not helping the common good. So to be a member of this church is to devote yourself to each other to where when Dan and I can't do everything, there's plenty of other people who can step in, who can share their gifts, who can encourage you, who can pray for you, who can exhort, strengthen, support. Friendship is found, and that is the fellowship of the church when the Spirit is present among us and we're devoted to one another. That's the picture of Acts chapter 2, verse 42, where the saints were devoted to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. They were devoted to those things. There's a lot of people talking about revival all the time, right? What's the right recipe for revival? And the Bible says, like, revival happened when those things happened. The Holy Spirit came, the church devoted themselves to one another, and the church was strengthened, and it had favor, and it grew and multiplied. The saints were devoted to receiving the teaching and to giving fellowship with one another as they break the bread and drink the wine of Christ's body and blood and then offer prayers with all supplication, making all requests to him at all times in thanksgiving. And that is how the Lord fills his people. He pours out his grace in various gifts we come together, we share them with one another, and we leave strengthened. So as you submit to the leadership of a pastor, in the same breath, you are submitting to one another, and just as you would open yourself up to be corrected by a pastor, you must also be ready to be corrected by a brother or sister who sees sin in your life. You must be ready to humbly receive, and I say this to myself as well, Dan and I must be ready to receive criticism and correction when our, when our lives are out of step with the gospel. And the church will only be strengthened as we humbly submit to that process, as we humbly submit to loving one another and looking out for each other's interests before our own, to outdoing one another and showing honor to each other. We will be strengthened with his grace. And so, in closing, I want to just encourage you as a brother, not even as a pastor, just as a friend, as a brother, if you're already a member of this church, be reminded of what it is to be protected by a shepherd, ultimately the good shepherd, and to be surrounded by an army of brothers and sisters and friends who all share in the same communion with the same spirit and the same faith and the same baptism and the same Lord, that we might be rooted and grounded in love and strengthened by the power of God to know the love that surpasses knowledge. Lord, I pray for this church family both those who have been members with us for a long time and those who are, are considering becoming a member. Lord, I pray for these three things of submission to you, submission to being shepherded, 
and submission to giving ourselves to one another. Lord, truly these things can only take place by your grace and by your empowerment. None of this stuff can be done in the flesh. And so, Lord, I pray again that we would, beneath it all, be devoted to having that communion with you where we come into your presence and we open up ourselves to you before any other person is even able to correct us, Lord, would we come before your throne of grace and say, Lord, what, what do I need to let go of? What do I need to repent of? Where do I need to grow? Lord, where do you want to correct me? Family, if we can be corrected by the Lord in private before any other person has opportunity, how much stronger, how much holier, how much more gracious we will be to one another. As we've received mercy, we will flow with mercy. And so, Lord, would you teach us what it means to open up our hearts to you in a secret place and to be given to you, our loving Father, our good shepherd. And then, Lord, would you strengthen us to be devoted to this church, Lord, that we might be protected and cared for and receive the encouragement that we all need daily so that we don't fall into sin. Oh, Lord, I desire that this church be holy and pure and strong, thriving and vigorous. So, Holy Spirit, would you come and would you bless your church? Would you bless us with these things, Lord? Help us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's end with this song where that